0: welcome to the Listen Louder podcast, a place to have open and honest conversations around mental health. I'm Megan Gilbride, the host, and each week I'll be discussing various mental health topics with my guests. For the best experience, try listening on the Entel app, where you'll be able to see and access links to exactly what we're talking about. Thank you so much for tuning in to the next episode of Listen Louder. Today I'm joined by Hope Bastine. Hope is a sleep psychologist, mindfulness, cognitive trainer and specialises in insomnia and trauma recovery. I'm so intrigued to learn more about what Hope does and I'm absolutely sure she's going to provide some brilliant information for us. Hope, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Um, It feels like there isn't really much you haven't covered in your career. (laughs) Um, And I have briefly listed kind of like a few strings to your bow in the introduction, but I'd love if you could give a little bit more background on what it is that you do and who you are. Yeah, um, you're right. I come
1: from a broad range of experience. And I think when I first started thinking about my career, I had a picture in my mind of what I was um, hoping to be which is more holistic mm. and at the time there wasn't one degree that that had that all in so it was about picking and mixing and, and creating um a fuller picture I think nowadays we're we're in a better place in terms of yeah, education definitely. <laughs> <laughs> very different but it but it gave me a broad range of experience um and insight so it's quite rich and full yeah definitely (laughs) yeah and actually the the strangest thing is that I didn't think that I would be a sleep expert I thought that I would either be as specifically a trauma therapist Oh, um, or um yeah I had plans to write books and things like that but it was my own personal experience that sort of brought the sleep work to life
0: Okay, so could you, if you originally thought that you were going to go down the, the trauma route solely, yeah. why, why was that?
1: Um, so I had uh, some work experience, um, my mum sent me with a team uh, to work with the Red Cross in Bosnia wow. in, in the mid-90s, <laughs> which was quite a, for, for, you know, for a teenage girl that was a very impressionable time. It's a lot. Yes, it was. And sometimes uh, you're running on full steam, a lot of adrenaline. And sometimes things happen where it doesn't phase you until after the event. Um, But what made a massive impact was all of the aid workers, including the special forces, how selflessly they worked, how dedicated they were. And then the impact that had on people um, and one stage of my work was with a we had a a center where children who had lost their parents in in floods or in wars we were housing them and, and looking after them and uh, this baby can't have been older than a year literally took to me and clung to me like a koala for two weeks straight. And when it was time for me to leave and move on, it was a very, very devastatingly oh, emotional goodness. experience where, you know, the babushkas were, were pulling the baby off of me. I slept, eat, uh, did everything with this this baby. How old were you, sorry? I was, I was 18, wow. 17, 18, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> But what was sad when I was leaving that particular compound was that I saw the after effect. So there was all this immediate, amazing care, food delivered, helicopters, rescuing, all the immediate sort of physical things were happening, but the aftermath there was nothing happening for the aftermath of the traumatic experiences and people were just sort of left to themselves to try to figure out their way through that Um, and that I saw a, a, a great big gap in the services for that yeah so it wasn't until a couple of years later that I Decided that that was the angle that I wanted to go. I knew certainly I wanted to be a psychologist. Yeah. um, It was, you know, reflecting on experience, which when you're in training, that calls you to do that.
0: Yeah. Gosh, that's incredible, and at such a young age to have that sense of insight into the world and know that you have a calling to do that. Yeah. Like that's incredible.
1: I I think yeah, I think I was lucky um, in that in that respect it has a way of pulling you out of your own problems mm. and you, and it gives you perspective um when you when you see other people are are going through some much bigger, more serious things yeah. as well. So, for as a teenager, we can be quite sort of drowning in our own stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it it taught me to be much more selfless and aware of others.
0: And how did that then lead on to you specialising in sleep and trauma and sleep?
1: Well, I you know, came back and decided what I wanted to do, and I announced it very bravely and, and confidently, and then life happened. <laughs> I got married, I, you know, did all the, the family stuff, and um, that marriage was was quite abusive. I then finally got to leave and make it stick, because sometimes you, it takes a little while to leave and etc. And that year, I was recovering from the consequences of that abusive marriage. And I also lost my brother to suicide. So it was a a horrifically traumatic year. Um, (laughs) And uh, for a year, nonstop, I I had to start retraining again because there was quite a gap um, whilst I was having my family. For a year, I had the most intensive, full-blown insomnia. My body was coursing through so much adrenaline. My heart was pounding in my ear. I hated my bed. I couldn't stand being in the bedroom. I, could, I couldn't stop running. I would kill myself in the gym. I walked everywhere. I was studying during the day, and then I decided to... I couldn't sleep, so I, I got a night job in a, in a care home. And that got me through college and that got me into university, it served its purpose but when I got into uni the the stakes were upped and I saw that my grades were suffering, my performance was suffering, I was on this constant state of hyper alert and fearful of switching off forgetting I was so grateful to be provided with an education. I didn't want to lose that opportunity, and I just uh, realized how it was affecting my mental and physical health and taking me away from my goals. So on the side, I was researching everything I could (laughs) around sleep, and at the time, there was very little accessible material. There were, I was studying psychology and neuroscience. I I took the modules that um, looked at the neuroscience of sleep and I took the modules looking at, at the clinical mental health issues. But it was inaccessible to the general public. And there was one textbook, which is a landmark textbook, it's one of the, the, the first ever books on it. But it was just not interesting. It was very restrictive. It did not have any compassion. It was all about restrictions. And I think I remember feeling quite angry when the author said, you know cut out caffeine and Mm. you know and it's like well that's not really helpful for me when you're a student and (laughs) you've
0: got really long hours and deadlines absolutely so
1: i'm so i was like well there must be you know times when it's good to have caffeine when it's not good to have caffeine how can i change my relationship to my bed in my bedroom how can i make it a place where i want to be instead of a place where i avoid it so i started thinking around the, uh, the the more behavioral side of things and looking at the research, but applying it in practical terms.
0: Right, okay. So is that kind of where the mindfulness of your practice comes in? Yes. Because I know that that's like when you were saying at the beginning that you like a more holistic yeah approach. Yeah, I'm guessing that's kind of on on that side. Yes, I think.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, on my search for um, psychological treatments for insomnia, I, I was doing a diploma in hypnotherapy, and uh, it was kind of. Uh, serendipitous really the, the the trainer's wife went into labor early and needed a cover teacher
0: oh my god you didn't <laughs> that's amazing no no no, no it wasn't
1: it, <laughs> no, it wasn't me the cover teacher was a mindfulness uh, oh, expert I see. okay um and and proceeded to do a, a lot of training in mindfulness which was quite a surprise and, and was I, that a different
0: approach to the previous yes it,
1: okay. it, it was yes um but complementary i tried it I took it home with me. I did what I always did: was pursue anything in earnest. So I bought every book I could get, downloaded any DVD, CD, everything, any audio books, and just threw myself into it. And it really, really, really supported me in a way that nothing else really had. So I was, I was hooked, <laughs> and I, it really has kept me sane. <laughs>
0: And could you tell me kind of like a little bit more about what that mindfulness approach is?
1: Yeah, it's um, in the UK. We combine it with CBT-based approach, so it's okay. quite logical and it's quite structured. And it it's not just about pure relaxation; it's about addressing rumination, identifying unhelpful thoughts, and recognizing the impact that that has on your mood and behavior. Now, for somebody who suffers from trauma-induced insomnia, that is extremely helpful because. Mm. Um, When you are dealing with the aftermath of trauma, you are processing a lot of information and a huge amount of experience that is is beyond the ordinary. So it's very normal. It's actually a a common adaptive mechanism to ruminate. And those thoughts and imagery, because you're desperately trying to make sense of it, you're trying to learn from it, and it evades your dreams. It is just the way we make sense of things, but it's just a really intensive experience. So you need to do it in a safe environment. You need to do it in a structured, logical way. You need to do it supported with other people. It just offers a fantastic, holistic vehicle as well. And mindfulness is also about self-compassion, Okay. which also means Mm -hmm. self-care. Self-compassion for somebody who's gone through some of the things that I've gone through, that was a massive learning curve for me. It still is. It's a difficult thing to... Yeah. yeah, because, yeah. we're you know, especially as women, we're hardwired to look after other people mm. and we're not so good at looking after ourselves or putting that same kindness and affection mm. that we would put on, you know, everyone else but ourselves onto ourselves. And quite self-depreciating as well, yeah. I think. Yeah. So it was re- it's a really a vehicle for uh, it's a ve- powerful vehicle for change and it's a vehicle for applying many different
0: aspects to our life in in one package. Yeah. <laughs> and do you specialise in a certain type of trauma and how do you identify yes. the trauma? So
1: I'm focusing on an area of trauma that's called complex trauma. Okay. So it's trauma that is long term. Right. Uh, usually happens in childhood but not necessarily. A long term abusive marriage would would constitute that. So it's 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 pervasive and long term to the extent that it would erode your self-esteem, your personality, your behavior in a, in a long-term deep way. Okay. So it's relationally impacted as yeah. well. Yeah.
0: I also reached out to a few of my followers just to see if they would have any particular questions that mm. they would like to ask you. And I wondered whether there are any kind of tips that you could give for... A nighttime routine so for people who struggle with anxiety mm. mental health in general yeah. I think n- nighttime can be the time where Absolutely. your brain fires off all angles I know mine certainly does um, yeah. and actually when you and I spoke we met at the Pi skincare event yeah. and we had just five minutes together but you gave me some amazing tips in, <laughs> in that short space of time yeah and especially as well for the people who are on medication mm. because I can speak from experience that being on medication for my mental health really has affected my sleep mm. and my dreams as well. Yes, uh,
1: we do hear that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> certainly for somebody who is 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 working with their mental health challenges, and especially for somebody who has suffered trauma and is having insomnia issues, making the environment as safe as possible is utterly it's 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 an imperative safety when suffering from trauma safety has been threatened so you need to make sure that the environment makes you feel psychologically safe and you can do that by manipulating the the aesthetics of the environment and you know there are some generic tips but it's also unique to you you know a yeah. color may trigger you so I might say you know really soft cooling colors mm-hmm. because you need to keep the temperature down but you know somebody might be triggered by blue for example mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> they might have associated it with a trauma so you know it's 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 unique to you so I think when you apply a mindfulness technique you sort of check in within yourself as how is my body responding to this texture how is my body responding to this color or, you know, this pillow or something like that. So it, it's it's a very intuitive process as well. Yeah. The routine is really, really important, and I write a lot about this, and this is what my book is going to be about when it eventually comes out. <laughs> um, it's the importance of the pre-sleep ritual. Rituals are psychologically extremely powerful, and we have been practicing them in many aspects of our lives for centuries, basically since uh, civilization began. So it's, it's hardwired in us. And they are particularly powerful when they have specific steps and they are at a specific time in the day and they have a specific intention. Okay. So it's a very mindful. So routine. I don't like to use the word routines because routines are mindless. Mm. You're not aware of it. You've become you've become habituated into it. But like a conscious effort to yeah. maintain something. That's right. Yes, because when you remind yourself of your intention, you're activating motivation pathways in the brain. Your body and your mind follow suit. It has
0: no choice. Wow, <laughs> um, and. I know we, like, personally, we haven't actually discussed it yet, so I'm really hmm. keen to ask you. You, yeah. you said you've been doing some, working on some research. Yes. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: it is uh, research in my specialism. So it's, it's uh, post-traumatic growth, so people who, who uh, use their trauma... As a vehicle for growth and self-development.
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah, so to be continued on that one. Wow,
0: so are you doing like case studies and things? Yes, lots of interviews, lots of case studies, lots
1: of traveling.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, I'll look forward to learning more about that then.
1: Yeah, that will be in several books, I'm sure.
0: Oh, amazing. (laughs) So I think everybody knows how imperative sleep is to our well-being and how much it will affect our mental health if... We don't get it. Yeah, it's it's it's
1: like, it's a cyclical experience because uh, sleep deprivation causes us to experience anxiety, but also the anxiety can interfere with our sleep.
0: Yeah.
1: it's it's sort of always been a chicken and egg. Mm. But if you're conscious of both, then you are able to yeah. to make some changes.
0: And would you be able to tell me a little bit more about um, the causes of sleep issues yeah. and insomnia? Yeah. In
1: our what I call lifestyle insomnia, which is basically our modern life or some of our habits that have interfered with our conscious self-care practices. We are, you know, we're self-medicating all the time. We're on quite a lot of caffeine. Uh, Then we use alcohol to come down. (laughs) But alcohol really, really does interfere with sleep. And it doesn't react, inter, it doesn't interact well with medication if you're on it as well. Then we've got issues with light. Mm. <laughs> and especially our devices, they're light based. Yes. And we have this uh, tendency to have this black and white on off kind of attitude or thinking or expectation so right I'm done for the day right switch off go to sleep yeah but you need to be prepared to sleep you need to wind down in the same way that you have to gear up for the day yeah very few people bounce up and they're ready and they're full of beans I'm definitely not
0: <laughs> <laughs> we both said we're afternoon people yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the same way that we need to gear up for the day, we need to gear down for the day from the day as well and in, and for the night and the more relaxed you are before you go to bed, the better your sleep quality is and sleep quality is defined by your ability to cycle through each stage at the appropriate proportion mm so when you've had good enough and good quality sleep you wake up feeling naturally without an alarm clock first of all and you wake up feeling restored and regenerated.
0: I remember when when you and I met and just to give people listening a bit of background Hope and I met at the Pi event like I said and we had kind of like a speed dating situation (laughs) where we went around a table speaking to different professionals in the healthcare sector and I said to, to Hope that I struggled with my sleep, um, I could normally get off okay, but that I would then wake up and uh, not be able to get back to sleep. And you gave me some really interesting tips, actually, about not fighting it yeah. when you can't. So we
1: have a new phenomenon, a new disorder, it's called orthosomnia, and it's the anxiety about going to sleep. <laughs> I've not heard of that. <laughs> um, so we become, uh, it's very easy it's very easy too quite sort of anxious we're, we're fearing the night, mm-hmm. so like you said earlier i I used to say this about myself. It was something that I wrote in my diary all the time was uh in the dark hours that's when the demons come out to play yeah um there's there's no other distractions t- away from to take you away from the stuff that you're trying to process or avoid in the night, you have no choice but to face it. Mm. But it's so intense and so overwhelming sometimes because you've been avoiding it. Yeah. So it's giving yourself measured, periodic time and space to do that. So first of all, you need to be extremely relaxed. Um, before you go to sleep. And just think about what is your pre-sleep ritual. My favorite is having a magnesium salt bath.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Magnesium is an extremely effective muscle relaxant. Um, And it is salt based, so it absorbs very beautifully through the skin. Um, so all the tension that we have in our shoulders, um, in our, you know, in our back, you know, soaking in the bath it, and having it applied not topically is really going to relax the tensions in the muscle. And discomfort, pain is one of the main causes for sleep disruption. If we're tossing and turning because we're uncomfortable, that's disrupting our sleep. Yeah. Also, the hot bath is very effective as tri- to, in tricking the body into a hibernation state. So sleep is effectively hibernation. So you, when you are soaking in the hot bath, your external body temperature is going to match with your core body temperature. When you get out the bath, suddenly it's really cool, your outer body temperature begins to drop very rapidly. So that tricks the, uh, it induces the hibernation state, so you feel very, very sleepy.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I love a good hot bath as well. I'm gonna gonna have to do that more. But for people that
1: suffer from anxiety, they might mm. find the heat triggering.
0: I do a little bit. Yeah, I can get quite dizzy and. Anxious, yeah, yeah. When I'm in the bar so
1: that that's the heat triggering. So I would suggest, a, you know, a shower, mm-hmm. um, and you can get magnesium induced uh, um, incensed um, shower gels. Not as effective, mm-hmm. but you can also get sprays and gels or, or moisturizers that have magnesium in it. There are, you know, pillow sprays that have yeah. various things in it like that. That's useful as well. So no, don't just because I say this thing is useful, don't do it if it's not helpful for you. You.
0: yeah and um, does taking magnesium help with sleep as well
1: yes it's one of the most important nutrients in uh, helping to make melatonin okay so in the evening we should be having foods that are very high in magnesium which is effectively eat your greens
0: yeah
1: um the problem with having too much so it i mean the amount that you need is proportional to your your bmi the problem is that it's, like I said, a very, very effective muscle relaxant. If you mm. ingest too much, you're going to have extremely loose bowels. Yeah. Not helpful when you're trying to get to sleep.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> counterproductive.
1: So I always suggest to split it up topically and taking a supplement or with food. It's okay. always better with food because uh, the food will have the other bits and pieces that you need in order to metabolize the magnesium and to help it break down
0: into melatonin okay amazing um and are there any non-pharmaceutical sleep aids that Mm. you would recommend
1: there are a few magnesium obviously as we've just said then the next one is something that you can get anywhere it's called 5-htp which is a precursor to uh tryptophan and tryptophan. Okay, I
0: don't know what that means. <laughs> I just look at you like my mouth like a bird.
1: <laughs> tryptophan is a amino acid. Okay, an amino acid. <laughs> Grammar. <laughs> <laughs> and it it again contributes to the production of of melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. So you need magnesium. You need um, tryptophan. So 5 HTP is a precursor to that. So it breaks down into it. Um, and you can get that at any health food store. But you can also have foods that are quite high in it. Again, it's always better to have it from food. But if you're dealing with a particular issue, it's helpful to have uh, supplements. So there's that. You can also get melatonin itself prescribed from the doctor. Always better to get a prescription because the quality of stuff that you can get online isn't very good, mm. um, and that's been tested by Matthew Walker, and he's proven that only about five percent of what's on the market is actually the. Per- oh
0: wow! And would melatonin from a GP be distributed or prescribed in kind of more serious cases? Yeah,
1: they're they're quite comfortable prescribing it, especially like if you're traveling, it's a very useful thing to do, or if you're you're going through an intensive bout of anxiety or insomnia. Mm. Some um, uh, anti-anxiety medications do make you sleepy, but we know that they don't actually, though they make you sleepy, they don't actually mimic sleep. Yes. So it's the same with alcohol. While it makes you sleepy, Mm -hmm. um, it it doesn't actually mimic sleep. Sleep is a natural process in the brain, and, Mm -hmm. and we've not been able to mimic it any other way but by actually doing it (laughs) but there are other other things that you can do there are there are meditation is a very very powerful tool to helping you get to sleep when you are meditating you move on to the alpha brainwave state which is the calmer brainwave state and it's also the pre-sleep state so when you're meditating you're quieting the mind just like when you're preparing for sleep you want to quiet your mind so it, it 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 makes sense so I, I practice my meditation in the evening, also because my day is quite busy. <laughs> like then part of that wind down. Yeah, as a so situation. It's it's the third stage in my in my sleep ritual.
0: Oh, what are your other stages? So
1: it's the, first it's the bath. No, yeah. oh, so actually, no. Um, it begins when I come in in the evening. I have a very strict rule in my house that there's no overhead no overhead lights on. So only side lamps. So lighting is really important to, especially if you're somebody who's quite anxious or who's quite stimulated by the environment. So you want to dial down your engagement with the environment. So low lights, amber kind of glow, maybe even have a red bulb or something like that. Anything that relaxes you, soft music. I, you know, sip a nice warm cup of tea and just sort of sit on the couch and and decompress from the day. And then I'll go into the bath, do my personal hygiene routine, keeping the lights low all the time. And then it will be moving to my room with either writing in my journal or doing some reading. And then I will finish up with a
0: meditation. And you do do that every night? Yeah. Wow. Every night you have a bath? Well, you know, not Mostly. most nights, sometimes yeah. there'll be a shower.
1: Wow. But it's it's also a psychological way of me washing the day off. Yeah. And
0: I really, I like going to bed clean. Same. Yeah. That definitely helps me. I can't, like, my brain when I go to sleep will think about anything it can. Um. And if I went to bed and I hadn't had a shower, I would feel just dirty and I would be focusing on yeah. the fact that I wasn't clean. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but
1: even you know, even things like you know, when you get out the bath, you you lather up with some moisturizer. That touch raises oxytocin, which is the cuddle, the bonding hormone. But it's also a very relaxing experience. So you're doing lots, of, and, and then it's the psychological practice of self care. So you're doing lots of really good things to you for yourself mm. with that. So for me you know that hour before you go to bed that is the ultimate self-care practice yeah
0: with regards to therapy yeah um which is obviously what you do yeah um it would be great if you could share a little bit more information about your experiences with therapy yeah um and the therapy that you offer Mm. um and yeah how people can get that help because personally for me therapy has been a very tumultuous Mm. subject yeah um and one that i'm Quite nervous of, so mm. I think it would be really helpful if yeah you could shed a bit of light on that.
1: Yeah, it, it is a, it is a tricky subject, um, and I think uh, in with our NHS model, we we go to the GP and we just sort of talk to wh- whichever GP is available, yeah. regardless of whether or not we like them or not or, or can relate to them. And uh, I think we've transferred that model into the therapy world, and it's 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 not appropriate. It is a tumultuous experience, which is why you need somebody that you really like and trust. I've gone through quite a few in my in my time uh, from my own personal experience. Um, and sometimes they serve you for a particular purpose in a particular time in your life. And, and then you move on, you take a break and then you realize that you need to help in a different area and you want to specialize, uh, see a specialist. And and that's also really important as well. <laughs> Funny story. I remember when I first started my training as a therapist, I, I'm quite sort of a headstrong person. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to deal with my daddy issues. <laughs> I'm going to find a male therapist. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that wasn't quite the thing that I
0: needed. It wasn't right.
1: No, it wasn't right. And then the next therapist that I found was the perfect one for me
0: I think that that's the really difficult thing because for me I had a really bad I've mentioned this on previous episodes actually that I had a bad experience with trying to even get a therapist that I was like willing to pay for yeah and I think that thing is of like it's not a cheap
1: Practice. No, it, no, it's
0: not. Um, and it is. A, it is an investment and yes. a work. I think a worthwhile one. I mean, yeah. from what I can say, I, I don't have the experience of yeah. it. But um, it is. It is a difficult thing. To, if you get there, you've done it. You've got yourself to that point where you mm. are ready to have therapy. Yeah. And then it doesn't. The person's not right. Yeah. And. Mm, continuing to have that yeah and the knowledge as well yeah like who should you be looking for what kind of therapist should would be right for you I think that's really difficult yeah
1: I think I think we need to provide more information about that and make that uh, available to people I would say always try to find a specialist so somebody who's special there are generic counselors that are Mm. trained in the basics um, but then, uh, when you, when, when a therapist, a, a psychotherapist, will either go for a PhD or, or do some specific research in a specific area, um, they will become experts in a specific area. So that that's kind of what you should be looking for. Um, you're right. It is an expensive endeavor. It is a lifestyle choice, mm-hmm. and it's a commitment that you make for a period of time. It's not an accessory. But the thing is that there is this discussion um, around, you know, making it more accessible financially. There, there, are, there are issues around that. I mean, I think, yes, the, the NHS needs to be thinking about that more. Um, but if you just think about the process that a therapist goes through, it's the same kind of training, the same level of training as a medical doctor. And then they go on to special... It takes years and years and years of training, which is expensive. So if you want a good quality therapist, you you need to be willing to, to pay for it.
0: Yeah, well, I think, like, putting it in layman terms and not to cheapen it, but yeah. it's like, you if you buy a car that's £100 expect it to get you so far yeah but if you're going to invest your money in something yeah you'll you'll get a better experience out of it I think is the way people should look at it like I wouldn't hesitate spending I don't know 30 pounds on a moisturizer or something Mm -hmm. when actually two of those moisturizers could pay for a session yeah um so I think having we I don't know why and I think especially in the UK we're so adverse to like spending that money on ourselves in that way yeah like I don't know whether it's admitting having a problem is a difficult thing I don't know it's
1: I don't think yes I I think it is part of the British culture of the stiff upper lip and pushing on and it's not until you're brought to your knees in a real state of desperation that you realize that you can't do it yourself Mm -hmm. um I mean, if you if you calculated how much you spent on drinking or uh, cigarettes, or um, Ubers, <laughs> you know, if you if you actually come through your finances and you said, okay, this is what's really important. What are your non-negotiables? First, a roof over your head, um, and being able to get to your job. You know, those are the most important things. And then it's of course food. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, come through your finances. What, and 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 figure out how to make it work but also therapists will advertise some therapists will advertise their prices but if you are upfront and honest with them say look you know that's not quite within my capacity are you they are able to negotiate they Mm. they do genuinely want to help people um, and they they set their fees based on their training and their experience Um, but don't be afraid to to say okay this is what I can afford but when it costs something, you value it. Yeah. And you are highly motivated to apply the tips and the techniques and to, to, to make it work and to, to heal and grow.
0: Mm. And um, I really like working with motivated clients. Yeah, and if people were wanting to learn more about what you do, what, what could they expect if they were to come and see you for therapy?
1: Yeah, so, um, I always arrange a get-to-know-you call.
0: So, you know, you
1: hear each other's voice, you know, you have a little bit of a, um, what what are the issues, Uh, here's how I work. I think, certainly for trauma, I think what's called a person-centred approach is a much better approach than maybe psychoanalysis or CBT. Um, Both of those are quite uh, directive and authoritarian. And they can be quite triggering for people who are suffering um, from, from trauma. You need a trauma. A person-centered therapist is somebody who works with the client at their pace um, and is, really wears the hat of empathy and compassion and understanding and, and trying to see the world from their perspective and then working with them with the skills that they have um, to um, lead them into a more meaningful, happy life. Um, And what I like about the person-centered approach is that it believes in our inherent goodness. We all have this capacity to grow. We have it in us. We're driven by it. Um, And we are always looking for ways to adapt and cope and make sense of things. And sometimes you just need a professional to guide you in the same way that when you're a baby and you're learning to walk, your parents hold their hands either side of you as you try taking your first steps. And that's the same way a therapist will um, operate.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much, Hope. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me. I think it's been incredibly helpful for me. So hopefully it's helped a few others as well. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I hope you'll have all found Hope's episode helpful if you'd like to learn more about what services she offers you can visit her website which is freshperception.com or you can find her on Instagram at freshperception or Twitter which is fpwellbeing she also has an app called guided sleep meditation on insight timer and Hope is also available for corporate talks events and training Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at listen.louder. I'd love to chat with you.